Hey, what is up, everybody? It is your host, Harrison Barron, and thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the Brutally Honest Podcast. Some of you guys keep asking or reaching out to me saying, hey, you know, we love the podcast, would love to support. You can go support it on patreon.com, that is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Brutally Honest Podcast. Make sure you look for the one with me. I'm a fluffy dude. All right, the other one is a chick. Don't know who she is. I think she's in New York City, though. Um, she actually just stopped airing her podcast, which is kind of interesting. But BrutallyHonestPodcast.com. You could also check it out there and underneath, I think it's support, you can see and select the Patreon. But my goal is to get this entire intro done in five minutes or less from now on, unless I get like crazy with ads and I just put them in the beginning and the end, kind of like some of the other major podcasters. So... If you want to go check it out, brutallyhonestpodcast.com, you can find all the social media there. If you want to follow me personally, I am Harrison underscore Baron on basically everything else. Um, and that's pretty much it. I have show sponsors. My show sponsors today are Agile Dragon Consulting. Thank you guys so much for your sponsorship. A-G-I-L-E Dragon Consulting.com. If you don't know what Agile is, it's a methodology of project management and basically taking information and, and manipulating it quite regularly to get the desired result in a faster time. Uh, projects typically take um, longer than everybody accounts for, and sometimes the end goal changes. So you need to make sure that that's taken into consideration. So agile that's what Agile means. And then Dragon Consulting, they are helping your business make better business decisions ooh, Excuse me, all the time when you are, when you're a business owner. When you have data that it's not like they're giving it to you, you already have, you can make better business decisions by getting an expert involved. That is what they do. AgileDragonConsulting.com for all of your business needs as far as how to make your technology give you better information. I don't know exactly how to say that. How to make your technology provide you with the right information to make better business decisions. I think that's the right way. I'm kind of making up my own script here because I know exactly what they do, but I keep trying to give you guys better ways of thinking about how it all works. But huge thanks to Agile Dragon Consulting. Next sponsor, terranut.com forward slash brutally honest podcast. No, BHP, sorry. T-E-R-R-A nut.com forward slash BHP. Go check it out. They have delicious little snacks, little granoles you can crush up, put it wherever you like. It's really, really good on top of yogurt and and oatmeal or whatever you'd like. Um, things that granola would go into, this would go into and fit perfectly. They're super packed with healthy nutrients, uh, cold-pressed. They're absolutely delicious. Definitely go check them out. T-E-R-R-A, terranut.com forward slash BHP. And that's it, guys. That's all I got. The Patreon, the website, go check it all out. If you haven't already, smash that subscribe button, leave a review, like it, share it, tell your friends about it. That's the best way that I can grow this thing. And the faster and more I grow this, the better quality of stuff you guys hear. Honestly, that's exactly how it goes. I'm not lying when I say that. It's really that simple. My guest today is a dear friend. And before I tell you his name, which you've probably already read, he has quite an interesting story. Um, he's done quite a few things in his life it's amazing how i love seeing people's life stories not so much about like what they do and hearing his story coming from where he was and taking a risk and a girl and all this kind of stuff to where he is now is incredibly impressive 
please welcome my friend Stuart Gelb. Is it weird coming out to the East End? Well, the way that I came. <laughs> you could say it was more than weird. Uh, if it makes you feel any better, uh, our mutual friend Larry uh, also got lost coming here once. A Horner? Yeah. He uh, he wasn't ready for the trip out here, and I told him, he's he knows I live in Bayport, but I told him 650 Montauk Highway, figuring Bayport, but I always put it in the address. Bayport, Bayport, New York. You so know. when I press the button, I think yeah. it said Bayville or whatever. Sometimes it just, gets messed up, and I don't know why it gets messed up. I had a 650, and yep. I didn't give um, much thought. You're, so. you're actually right around the corner from Robert Kane's house, by the way. Who, well, another person I'm trying to get on the show. Oh, Bobby Kane. Yeah, yeah, Bobby yeah, Kane. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, but you're not the first person, so don't think that. I don't think that. I know Sal was in there, no? Yes. That was, actually, Sal was at my old studio uh, when I was with my old company, Nerds Like Hair, over in Bohemia. So uh, that was a little easier because I don't think there's only any Knickerbockers unless somebody goes to Brooklyn. Okay. So, Stuart, I know a little bit about you. I know a good amount about you now. Okay. But I've heard that you have a past, a good past. <laughs> yeah, as, as his, lights, his eyes light up, oh, my goodness. Uh, so I'm curious. what You, you own the company Liquidity Source, and we're gonna, I'm sure we're going to dig quite a bit deep into that. Right. But what would you do prior? Because I've heard some interesting stories, and – all good things, but I want to hear from you. Okay, so what happened was I went to Ohio State, and I married a girl uh, that was from New York, and there was no way I was moving anywhere but into New York. You can oh, understand so that. you didn't live in New York? I grew up in Ohio. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, and I and I moved to New York. So her family was begging me to come and go into the garment business, Okay. which I knew nothing about, and I gave it a shot. Uh-huh. Thought it'd be great. Um, I was promised stock and ownership, not not enough to hurt anybody, but just sure. to know that I had some collateral. You know, I had some significant equity somewhere down the line. Sure, sure. And after four or five years, I realized that wasn't happening, and I decided on the side to start doing some work myself. Sure, doing jobbing uh, on the side, garments uh, to some. A, re- a lot of retailers and starting to do very well and putting money on the side for my my exit sure um got involved in i started out that business by doing off price buying closeouts what is uh, that closeouts would be like you go into a, a factory mm-hmm. and the guy has left two thousand pair of pants or mm-hmm. five thousand pair of jeans or okay. blouses whatever it is sure and he wants to, it's it's the the end of the season's coming and he has for example, $10 invested in it. Mm-hmm. And I ask him, how much do you want? He says, five. Mm-hmm. I take the samples. I go around to my guys. They offer me $3, sure. or $2.50, whatever sure. it is. I go back to him and listen, I'll, I'll take the whole thing. Yeah. But I'm only giving you three bucks. Sure. Goes, a low number, two fifty, two dollars Sure, sure. And I would start selling that on the side and making a lot of money. Sure. Oh, but wow. I, was, I, was, I was putting the money on the side, waiting because I, had, I needed a bridge time when I was going to my own business. Mm-hmm. And leaving the other business, I had to know that I was going to be safe. I had a family. I already had two little kids. Sure, and sure. That's yeah. how life was. A lot of responsibility. So 
I met this uh, young guy and um, Israeli, as a matter of fact, and we took a small warehouse in Brooklyn in the Navy Yard. Okay. And paid like we had like 500 square feet on a 20,000 square foot floor. Mm-hmm. Paid like $500 a month. Sure. Started selling off-price goods, and then slowly went into the manufacturing business. Um. First couple of years were kind of tough because we didn't have customers, we didn't have a lot of money. And sure. it, was, it was tough still to figuring get, it all out. Yeah, still figuring it all out. And then as we started to do a little bit better, I started. I went to a factor, but my. But I must uh, say that my whole life, even since I've been eight, finance and numbers were always the way that I looked at the world. Mm-hmm. Some people look at it a different way. Sure. I, I sure. dream. I dream numbers all the time. It's sure. always been like. It's always been so. Even though I was in the garment business. My focus was through and running it through the finance arm. Sure. Um, started doing a lot of business with people like, at the time it was Petri stores, a lot of these stores, learners, stores like that. And then eventually we started, we got into Limited was our big sure. uh, get in with Victoria's Secret catalog and mm-hmm. on and on and on. And within 10 years, we were doing, we had about 200 employees. Oh, wow. Opened up in LA, New York. And moved the production over to China because the pricing here was too difficult, and we were doing quite well. Wow, we were killing it. Really? Yeah, and that went on for about all in this industry. Or you just all in this industry, we went. We were doing cut and sew knits and sweaters. At the height, we were doing about sixty million a year. Holy crap! Yeah, so we we're doing great. So what happened was, as time went on, and like everything else in life today, it's another. It's always there's always headwinds. Like today, Amazon's taking over retail. Sure. Uh, the guys that are in the taxi cab business no longer have uh, are losing out to uh, Uber. Lyft and yeah. Uber and all that. Sure. And life just changes. There's no, there's nothing today that if I had a son that was 21 years old and said, "Dad, what could I do for the next 40 years?" There's nothing. Yeah. Figure you're going to do three or four occupations because things change. And sure. That's, that's what you learn over time. So even though I did great in that business, as as things got tougher and tougher with the. As, as, as things got tougher and tougher for me and for my and for that uh, business, I started investing in real estate and doing some other things. And I had almost nothing, no per, personal guarantee. So I had said to my partner, when they come to us for the guarantees, I'm out of here. Yeah. And that's basically what happened. So in 2006. Personal guarantees for like finances for the business? Or? For the business. Okay. To, sign, to, to personal guarantee where I had a maximum exposure of $125,000 joint and several, it's called each. They wanted us to sign for four or $5 million, okay. which means that if the, the, if the business tanked, yeah, I would lose, I could lose my house. Sure. I could lose every, you sign, you sign everything. Yeah. I wasn't signing for anything. Sure. So I started getting involved in real estate in early 2000, even before we, I left, like I'm starting to make my way and sure. in 2006. Um, I started to get involved with a group of guys. We, we, we bought some property in uh, Tribeca. Okay. And we did a full gut renovation on Murray Street. It was a great it was a great project, except the problem was in 2008, the market fell apart. Sure. So what I did was we immediately rented the whole place because the place was great. Mm-hmm. And we, we waited it out. Like two or three years later, we sold everything and made a lot of money. Wow. Smart. So, yeah, so it was... But at the same time, when 2008 was tough, how was I supposed to make money for myself and my family in sure. a time where the banks weren't lending sure. and real estate kind of came to a halt? Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. It wasn't an easy time. Yeah. So I started thinking to myself, what's my core competency? Sure. My core competency is finance. And maybe the banking business would be an opportunity for me because with the, with the slowdown in 2008, um, dramatic slowdown in 2008, Banks were getting rid of a lot of their clients for un, for different reasons, and there, were, there looked like there could be a possible opportunity for me to get into the banking side of business. Sure. So I had gone back to Ohio where I had started, met with the, a very large accounting firm. I mean, they were doing over $100 million in accounting, which is very big. Yeah, that's tremendous. It's a very, it's a very big, uh, and in fact, they just, they recently, over the last few years, they sold out to a, a larger company called BDO, which is also very big. Sure. It's probably one of the largest on the planet. And I told them I think I could get them financing for some of their clients if they're having a difficult time. I could get it done in New York, but with the computerization, what difference does it make if the banks in New York or the banks in Ohio? It makes no difference. Yeah, no, yeah. So he gave me a few clients, and I got them all financed in mm -hmm. New York. And then as time went on, because my appetite was leaning towards real estate in general, um, I also manage some family real estate. Sure. And I have my, some of my own real estate that I purchased and manage, and I've done my own construction as well, uh, that I felt like I needed to be focused in one area, so I decided that commercial finance was better than residential. Okay. And my focus should be uh, in the real estate sector. So as I evolved, I got involved in construction. Sure. Perm out finance, refinance, and now also what they call senior first mortgage money or hard money loans, which sure. we lend to uh, clients when needed. So that was the evolution of where I am today, and I feel like I've grown into it, and I feel like I was kind of meant to do this my whole life. Sure, sure. You think everything prior kind of helped you get to where you are? I think, I think that's how life is, you know? Sure. You kind of follow your passion, you get more experience at things, so I think your decision making should become better as you become seasoned. Because when you, when, as you move on, if you're, if you're, I, I was part of it. Maybe you could say was luck, but my determination and my tenacity led me to success no matter what I did. So I felt like the seasoning of each at each stage prepared me for the next stage of my life. Interesting. I like that. That's a good concept. Um, how long were you in the family business, and how long did you have the your own? you know, textile business and stuff like that. So I had the, I was in the family business probably about five years. I was in, I started the, the business from scratch and stayed into it about almost 20 years. And then I went to real estate. Sure. Um, which I have a deep passion for right now and commercial finance. Sure. Does your old bit company still exist? No. Done? Dissolved? Done. Gotcha. And now what, because I'm very interested because I've never had anybody that I know in, in textiles and fabrics or anything like that. What would, like, what? No, I'm sorry. Oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> like, what'd you guys do? Were you guys working on, like, designer stuff, or was it all wholesale, or, or was No, it, so, okay, so did, to give you a sense of it. Because I have no idea how that works. Okay. When you when you start out, you're very limited because, first of all, there's only certain stores that are going to even take your phone call. And in fact, as time went on, that even that became very difficult. Really? Yeah, because who are you? You're not going to you call somebody on the phone. You say, "My name is Harris" or "My name is Stewart." And I have a sure. company called. It was called Coolware. I have a company called Coolware, and we do uh, junior sportswear knits. 
Sure. Now, I knew the price points that we were doing. So the price points kind of backed into the, we were not expensive. Sure. We're kind of, we were doing retail, you know, things that would retail from, let's say, 19.99 or 29.99. Mm-hmm. So we were really in the market. We were, we were specialty fashion goods to gear, we were geared up for people like Sears, Target. that price range but also stores that wanted to have a fashion twist at the at a, at a dominant price point so sure. they could give it to their customer sure. so in other words you can go into a better store and see the same similar blouse that was two hundred dollars mm-hmm. and i could make it in china and deliver it mm-hmm. maybe it's not the exact same fabric maybe there's yeah, some yeah, things yeah. are different but it's pretty close so that's that's what we did so what we did was as time went on we shopped europe Mm-hmm. Uh, we had designers, but they weren't true designers. They weren't like designers that like did their own thing. They were when we would shop stores or shop Europe, uh, it, they were usually a, a year ahead of us fashion wise. Yes. So when you shop the stores and you went into a number of the stores that were the ones that you that were like you, mm-hmm. or like or like the merchandise that you would be presenting at sure. your end. You would get a sense of like the hot colors for that season, the mm-hmm. hot items. Was it sleeveless? Was it long sleeve? Was it, you know, what were the bodies like? You know, there's a, like a storybook, and then there's also there's um, companies that exist that that have uh, books that you buy for merchandising ideas for the year ahead. So you'd look at those wow. books, and they would give you color opinions, and they give you body opinions also. So you take all that intellect and wrap it around and talk to your designers and your merchant. I would call them more like merchandisers than designers, merchandisers. And then you would you would put together a line mm-hmm. uh, that you'd facilitate and be ready for market. And we'd have market probably every couple months really? uh, in New York and then probably three or four times in L.A. Uh, and constantly visiting the, the the larger customers on a on a regular basis to keep feeding sure the, the new ideas the, and yeah the element yeah. yeah do you think that europe leads the fashion industry mm, i think in some in some cases it leads the fashion industry as far as styling and fashion mm-hmm. um but the major stores today like the target the walmart now amazon probably i think amazon might be the biggest i don't know sure. to be a fact the biggest seller of of clothing in the world today sure, probably the the magnitude of what you could do in what they call private label private label would we didn't have our label they would give us their label mm-hmm. they would give us their size specs because they figured their customer depending on the who you're selling a walmart customer could be a, a heavier set woman in america mm-hmm. so they would give you body set uh, body specs even though they love the garment you had to make it maybe a little wider, a little longer to fit the uh, spec of the individual. Really? Yeah. So you're kind of identifying with their, so then they would give you their label mm-hmm. to put in the goods, and then you'd ship directly to the stores. Interesting. So it was a great, when it was great, it was a great business. I can only imagine. Yeah, do you think business. it's changed, obviously it's changed now. What do you think was the single biggest factor of changing that industry that you got out of it? Well, there's a few things. One is the the department stores and the major stores had um, had too much of a, a, a too much of a handle on the not only the pricing but they dominated the market. So they were so strong in the market that 
if your goods didn't sell at a certain markup, they would just charge you back markdown money for a horrendous amount. And if you didn't oh, like really? it, they would just tell you that we won't be buying next season. So yeah. they always, you were always under the threat of that. Uh, you were under the threat of if something didn't come in right and they, they found an, uh, something that was wrong with it where they said there was the color, the shade was sure. off, it sure. was a half inch too long or too short, whatever it was, they could charge you hundreds of thousands of dollars on markdown money. Sure. If you didn't like it. Because they just controlled the market. They, and they controlled your money because sure. once you shipped the goods, it became it went into the receivable. And yeah. they didn't pay you for 60 or 90 days, gave them plenty of time to rather mark the goods down, charge you back. Sure. Too much of uh, there was too much downside. It, it, I'll put it this way: the risk reward wasn't there anymore. Sure. Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, do you think that that's kind of changing the entire market still, or you think it's now the market is kind of changing more towards the personalized designer, um, you know, lesser large name brands out there? I think there's always there was always a market for the lesser. Uh, name brands because it was it was those those small brands became unique to the market, but okay. then but then what happens is then you have a you have uh, when 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 these smaller brands become very much in demand mm -hmm. they end up selling out uh, to the larger companies and then they become what they didn't want to become to start out with but they but they did it for monetary reasons sure sure yeah so. you know. Uh, it's actually funny. The guy John up there, he he deals with the uh, he used to deal with pretty expensive watches, and he's like, it's he goes, I love selling out, and I'm like, why? You know, I love the idea of like, you know, staying true to it and the whole you know process. But I guess at the end of the day, when somebody waves a couple thousand, you know, hundred thousand or whatever you know dollar amount it is, and it looks pretty good to you. You know, you you almost have to. But you also have to think about what you can do the rest of your life because you, you know what you think you're selling out for, at the time. Mm -hmm. maybe what they call de minimis to really what it's worth. You know, if you're 35 years old and you sold out for a couple million dollars, you might think, oh, my God, a couple million dollars. I never in my life dreamed about it. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, 10 years go by and <laughs> you, you went through all the money. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't it doesn't last. And sure. it's, it's only rare occasions that people sell out for $100 million or $200 million, something that's so substantial they sure. can carry them through life. But yeah. usually it doesn't happen that way. Really? It's usually just a good little bump, and then on to the next. At the thing. time, they think it's everything, but it's like every, like when you went to high school sure. and you decided when you got out of school if you ever made a hundred thousand dollars or whatever sure. the number was, you go, "Oh my God, I would like this is like this would be like a home run." Mm -hmm. Until you made the hundred, and then time went on, and you see, you got married, and you had kids, and you have and schools and everything else, and you see that the money doesn't go as far as you thought. Mm -hmm. Your mind changes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so much easier to spend than it is to make it. Absolutely. So much easier to spend it. Um, I actually just watched a, a great video the other day, and it was like, you know, how much money is really a, a million dollars? You know, could you live on a million dollars? And it was like, you know, average, you know, forty, you know, $4,000 a month without any ROI on your money sitting there. And it was only going to last you, you know, you're talking about almost $50,000 a year. So you're talking 20 years. No, but it's even worse than that because when the guy the, when the guy retires, let's say he retires, whatever, forget about the age, not 60, 50, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. If you have a million dollars and the bank today you get 2%, you're getting $20,000 a year. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. Yeah. And 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 if you and if you invest it properly and you get 5 or 6%, it's taxable. Sure. So if you made $60,000 a year and you pay tax, you come home with 48,000. Sure. What's $48,000 a year in New York? Uh, nothing exactly nothing in New so, York. so so it, it's it's a problem it's it's not what it, it's not what it appears yeah. to be 
And people don't typically take their money and say, oh, and, and divide it up for the number of years they think sure. they're going to live sure. and then be out of it. Because what if you live to be 90 exactly. and you only had enough money until you were uh, 79? Yep. Yep. It's uh, it's scary. It's scary that money doesn't go as far as people think it is, especially here, out of everywhere in the world. But uh, but I but I do believe there's more opportunity here than anywhere else. The opportunities here. Why do you say that? Because there's uh, a lot of density, big population, real estate in general over a period of time is usually phenomenal. Um, the job when you go for a job in New York is not like going for a job in Ohio or going for a job in Detroit. Sure. Um, the, the, the wages are much less. Um, I think there's, if you if you focus and get into your mind something that you, labor of love, which is always the most important thing. Sure. Like if you're doing something and you're not looking at the clock, what time are you gonna get home? Because, oh my God, it's like, you're just like loving what you're doing. Sure. You have a real chance of being a success. You'll never be successful if what you do is kind of boring and kind of just like, getting by because this is what you need to do to make a living sure sure um do you think that that because you took a leap of faith do you think that resonated with you as far as did you did you eventually enjoy doing what you you know in the garment industry or was that kind of a you know hey i did it made my money and left no i felt like i loved it i was really disappointed that i had that i had to leave but you know sometimes it's also powerful to know that you have to know when it's time to get out. Sure. A lot of people can't because what happens typically, and a lot of people that I know over the years, is they don't see the handwriting on the wall. Mm. It's not It's not like there's a difference between no matter what business you're in, that you had a bad season, or it was 2008 and the market took a hit in general, uh, or it, but there was a deciding factor and here would be like an example. Amazon goes into the market and they're less expensive than anybody in the world at the product. And the main reason is because they don't have brick and mortar. And everything's found on the internet and most of the time, at least until lately, there was also no tax. Mm-hmm. So how can anybody really compete against an Amazon? And now you have kids or millennials that used to go into their favorite store buy sneakers or... Whatever, whatever whatever it is and now they go in with their with their camera on their iPhone and they take a picture and then they can show it around and get the best price it is you kill the guy's margin there's no it's it's hard for a guy that has a store or two or three or five to compete against these worldwide uh, brand type operations that are that have warehouse facilities against the rents of the stores sure sure yeah and especially when the warehouses aren't in the most expensive places well, it's all purposeful yeah you know it's not a long island you know there's no and they can deliver it in 24 hours now with with uh, the post office and then when they receive it they they can it doesn't fit they just return it you see the new uh the new thing now the amazon's starting to do their own fulfillment and It'll tell you. So uh, this is crazy. This just happened to me the other day. I ordered something on Amazon. I got a notification on my phone. Your Amazon package is nine stops away, eight stops away, two stops away. I, now I'm sitting in the car driving to Nassau County, and I'm like, God. Like now I'm watching it basically get to my door. I'm like, Oh, I'm gonna miss the package. 
the dude calls me and is like, hey, uh, I'm at your unit, but the door's locked. Nobody's here. What do you want me to do with your package? And I'm like, oh, just leave it with the tire guys up there. I'll grab it like when I come when I get back to the office. I'm like, talk about next level of not only service, but like if it's at your house and you don't want your package to get stolen. Hey, dude, do me a favor. Throw it in the backyard. Walk around the back of the house and throw it throw it on the back step so people don't see it on the street. You know, whatever whatever you choose to get done what due to that package, you know, he'll do it right there for you. Right. Well, it's like even a simple thing. I have an Epson printer in my house. I happen to love the printer. It's great. And I used to buy the the cartridges are the most expensive part of that printer. So I used to buy the the cartridges from Staples, which is not an uh, an expensive store. I think they're probably competitive. So like the black ink would be like $25. And I went on Amazon. I think the black was 15 and the colors. I would say at least 40% less. And if you build up the points, you can even get even more of a discount. Sure. Why would you? Sh- you're going to go to Amazon before you're going to go to these other places. Sure, sure. So look what it's doing to the retailer, especially the guy that had the one or two or three stores. Sure, you're not going to. It's going to be hard to survive it. What do you think the next step is for retail stores? I think that the the next step what they're trying to do is going to make make it a different um, a, a, a different venture, so to speak, so that. The stores that are going to do great. I mean, all these new type of stores are coming, like Bonobus, where do they? Or you go into a store and you try on, or you you look at the one item that you can go home on the internet and buy it. Or there's there's uh, uh, clothing now that you can actually have made to fit online and have that delivered. Stores that are different than the old school. Because if you notice over the years, the stores. Even years ago, uh, that were Alexander, if you would know, like Alexander's. Um, uh, there's a lot of a lot of department type stores that, like today, Sears. Sure. Almost out. They'll eventually, it'll be out. Sure. Lampers doing a deal because of the real estate. Blah blah blah. That'll be out of business. J.C. Penney, almost out. Mm-hmm. So what was so different? These are stores that were around a hundred years that always did great. Mm-hmm. Things change. The sure. market change. The, sure. the, the the price points change. Um, everything changes, and the and the people that can't stay. I'll give you an example. Kodak. Sure. What happened yeah. to Kodak? Yep. But AT and T, when there were when when twenty years ago, there was phones on every corner in the Penn Station. Everywhere you went, there was phones everywhere. There was sure. phones in the house. Everything else. They got onto the iPhone. Sure. They got onto the next deal. That's the only thing that the only thing that kept them alive. Yeah, they would be out. They were the first one so, on the iPhone. So, so the people that sit still mm-hmm. and say it's gonna co- whatever they're doing is gonna come back, not because it's a bad season. Sure. Not because the economy was bad for a year or two because of whatever China, whatever it is, because the fundamentals of what you always knew to be a certain way. Mm-hmm change yeah it's time to get off the ship and go into something else sure you just and and most people don't most people emotionally can't get to it they mm. feel they feel like this is what i've did my whole life and i know times may be tough now sure but it's going to come back not sure. coming back yeah yeah it's very rare that it comes it's back. called finito yeah <laughs> done um yeah it's 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 pretty sca- it's pretty amazing and pretty scary at the same time to see how the internet is kind of changing the world. But you know, it's kind of the just what you said. You know, people have been doing it for so long. 
But just because it's ruining one industry, it's starting a whole new industry. You know, there's so many other things that you can go do. Might not be what you're accustomed to, but you're going to have to change your careers, you know, a handful of times in your life period. Well, if you're smart, you'll, you'll think about the change and start to make those changes while you're still making a living at where you were before. Mm-hmm. So, the, so that everything doesn't come crashing down. Sure, sure. And that's, um, you know, that's what's difficult for people to, to do. The, I know somebody and they just, uh, you know, they had just lost their job and I go, great, you know, and it was, a, it was a personal friend and uh, I go, all right, so you know, you're looking for a job, go on LinkedIn, like ask your friends. I don't have a LinkedIn. I'm like, how do you not have a LinkedIn? Like that is your first source of like keeping in contact with coworkers and other people that you've done business with and all these different things. Like that should be the first first place you go to to start lining up all those people to call and and see what companies are out there and things like that to you know pivot and adjust um it was it's pretty it's just wild right i i agree i agree it's it's, it's adjusting to the things that are new sure um so now the liquidity source what made you decide to get into that as far as you know, hey, this is what I'm going to do, and and stuff like that. And go well, that ahead. was the, what I was originally telling you when I started to think about in 2008. What, what was my core competency? You know, I felt it was finance, sure. and I started linking that to banking, mm-hmm. and I started talking to. Um, actually, I, I prior to liquidity stores, I, I started thinking my first move in the commercial finance space. Um, uh, even actually before I stepped there, I started going to the banks that did the loans for the garment guys. And okay. I said to myself, I could be, I could do a lot for the banks because I know where the skeletons are. Like what's people like myself where the inventory, for example, was always an issue in sure. the garment business. So a guy would, would, um, have a problem they wouldn't sell off the bad inventory and they would keep it at the, the original price so they wouldn't show the loss. Mm-hmm. So I felt like who who is better than me to be able to go into those facilities and go through all the books sure. and records and the inventory and, and, and basically do due diligence for the bank and come back and show them where the problems were. Sure, sure. The interesting thing was the banks didn't want to hear about it because I wasn't talking to the owners and the higher-ups I was mm-hmm. talking to the loan officers that made the loans to those people. Mm. So if I divulge what was wrong there and they had to go to their bosses to tell them sure. what they did wrong or what they didn't know, that would be kind of an embarrassment to them. Sure. So that wasn't working out very well. Gotcha. So I started, when I, when I, as I kept doing more due diligence and going to talk to other accountants and to uh, my accountants in, in Ohio, started talking about doing financing to bank with banks to clientele and it wasn't at the time real estate specific gotcha it was like any business if you needed money you needed sure. go to but over time i think the evolution for me was over time i learned how to do the underwriting i knew how the banks did the underwriting i wasn't going to be a simple broker that relied on i'll go to the client and 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 get the eight or 10 or 12 or 15 pieces of paperwork that is needed to go to a few banks just to get the guy a loan. I wanted to be the guy that evolved from the commercial finance broker to the trusted advisor um, and the consultant that could pave the way for them in order to go through all the complexities 
in the in in this industry and get them not only the a loan but the best loan based on their business acumen and everything that was important to them. Sure, that was the, that was the achievement. Sure, and you came from it. You you know you know how to run, you knew how to run a business at that point. Yes. That's what I think is so valuable. Uh, knowing how to run, you know, knowing what it's like to be a business owner, knowing how the finances are going to work. Because uh, I can't imagine just somebody walking into your industry per se and saying, "Hey, I, I got this all figured out." No, I think there's a lot of. I think that the average broker in the industry hasn't figured it out. I think what the average broker does, the guys that work for a lot of these large companies, mm-hmm. has a list of paperwork. If you're mm-hmm. if you're going for a commercial loan and you needed three years of tax returns, and you needed what they call global cash flow showing the real estate that you own, and personal financial sp- statements that are current. And what they call liquidity statements, which are the statements that that necessitates at the bank, you know, what you have in those accounts that match your personal financial statement, and the net operating income on the building, and all the all the things that the banks are looking for, and you just get that list and go to a few banks. Mm-hmm. If the guy's in pretty good shape, you may be able to get him a loan. Sure. That doesn't mean you're getting him the best loan. Sure. It doesn't mean that you were able to negotiate the deal. It doesn't mean that you understood finance. It doesn't mean that you were able to expedite the process. This is what I think most commercial brokers do. They're limited in the knowledge of how to really look 30,000 feet up and look down and know what the, what's best for that client. Sure, sure. And especially because the percentage point could be in tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in a loan that and they're paying. And, and, that, and that's only one thing. If it's, it's Sometimes they don't have the cash flow, so they need a longer, what they call amortization, which is the period of paying it back. Sure. So even though it's there's money to be saved if you pay it back in 20 years versus 30 years, maybe what you have cannot accommodate such a short a short payback. Sure. Oh, like a business model, you mean? Or well, it's kind of a business model in the sense that it, it, everything's based on cash flow. Sure. So if you wanted if you wanted to borrow five million dollars over 20 years, mm-hmm. it's going to cost you certain amount more per month because you're paying it back faster. If you sure. didn't count the interest rate and you want to pay back five, if you want to pay back $5 million over 20 years, it would be $250,000 a year in principle, basically, sure. right? Because sure. 20 times 250 is five, is $5 million. If you wanted to pay the $5 million back in 30 years, it'd be like $166,000 a year. Sure. So instead of paying two fifty, you're paying back one sixty six. Sure. So there's um, you may you may for example when you go for a loan you may need you may have needed six or seven million dollars on that loan mm-hmm. you didn't want five you may you really needed the six or seven maybe sure. you didn't have enough to put down whatever the reason was you sure. needed more money well you can get more money if you go longer but uh, not all banks go longer gotcha. some banks only go 20 years. Some banks only go 25 years. Some banks will do 30 years. So it's not just based on rate. You have sure. to look at you have to look at the whole deal and the personal financials of the person the individual and make a determination and include them on the wish list like what they're looking for to determine what is the best structure. Sure. For this individual or this group. Yeah. Yeah, you need to. Um you know, and I guess it sounds—it probably sounds ludicrous to most of the people listening. But if 
you know, that extra seventy, eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year that they're gonna have as working capital and not spending it on, you know, not spending it paying back the loan, you know, between the the hundred and sixty and the two hundred fifty thousand, that could be the, you know, what they the additional bump they need to bring on a, another employee or whatever. Well, it wasn't no, it wasn't that maybe you didn't understand <clears throat> the additional ninety thousand dollars. What you've done is gave you the ability to borrow. The same two hundred fifty thousand based uh, on on a higher number. Gotcha. So now it, it would accommodate a larger loan. I gotcha. <coughs> Excuse me. Interesting. Um. Now, what kind of companies are doing this? Is it all companies? Is it certain size companies? Is it companies on different scales, industries? Just because I run a media company, my whole computer my whole office is basically in that computer and in the cloud so for me to understand for me to conceptually realize and i guess a lot of the listeners too you know who are these people that are going for these majorly large loans to continue their business well i think first of all the reason i'm 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 when it comes to my space sure i'm really talking about people in real estate specific okay i mean i have an understanding i probably could go out and help anybody in any business but mm-hmm. it's not where i'm pushing I, I, sure. I want to make sure that I have a, just like when you walk into a store or you go anywhere, you go to a restaurant, it's not like we have all the kinds of foods for you. We have Italian food or we have sure. pizza, we have whatever <laughs> it is. You you, yeah. you you have a concept that you're building on. I built a ground, ground floor is that I am a specialist in the commercial finance space that handles and focuses on real estate. Gotcha. Right? That's the focus. Could sure. I do other deals? I certainly could. Sure. But I wanted them to say to me, oh, that guy's great. He's one of the best guys I've ever met in the real estate space. Sure. That's the focus. Now, when it comes to, to the size, the size matters, I probably accommodate loans that are more in the construction space up to 25 or $50 million. The guys that are very large that borrow $200 million or $300 million, they may have some brokers that do that. Sure. Or they may have... These guys that are very large that are building these high rises in the city, uh, these high high uh, development guys, you know, the big development guys, probably have or do have a whole group of individuals that work for them underneath their feet, right? Sure. These are the guys that are helping them look for space, sure. helping them finance, maybe reaching out and doing bank it's deals team, as well. Yeah. It's a whole team. Wouldn't have the same need for someone like me uh, as the guys that are small. They wouldn't have the organizational staff in order to do what needs to be done. Sure. Yeah, the resources. Resources are key. Right. Um, have you worked on any, like, skyscrapers or anything like that, or not really? No. No? I was going to say, that'd be pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, and then now, so these these real estate owners, what are they typically doing with that money? They're just reinvesting it back into that building, a reconstruction, or... No, I there's listen. It depends. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of different variables depending on where they are in their life and what their what their visual is. Sure. A lot of these guys construct properties. They call it usually construction. Typically, is twenty four months to thirty six months range. Okay. And then it may take another six months or so to what they call stabilize. Stabilize means you rent it or you yeah you rent it. Sure. Uh, it could sure. be. Commercial, it could be mixed-use commercial downstairs. It could be multifamily upstairs. It could be a mixed-use mixed In New York City, it could be anything. It could be anything. And once you state what they call stabilize, you have the leases in place, you go to a bank and say, look, I want you to look what they call it an NOI, my net operating income at this property. 
and this location and my personal financial statements, and I would like to borrow X amount of dollars. Sure. The X amount of dollars is going to first and foremost go to pay off the bank that lend you the money for the construction. Sure. And based on a strong stabilized uh, stabilization, you're going to get some profit. So if you borrowed $8 million, there's a good chance you could borrow 12 or $13 million, pay off the 8 and have an additional $5 million. That $5 million may go to another property. Sure. You know, just, you know to keep this growth. Very interesting. So they'll take the money out. They'll do the construction, and then they'll go to another bank to pay off that original loan for the construction. Well, they they must. I mean, the bank yeah. the bank has the collateral on it until they until they until get paid off. Until it's they perm out. They call it perm out. Interesting. And then they can what do a wild but, cycle. But then, but then some of them, depending on the deal, may actually stabilize and get a very big offer for what they just did, mm-hmm. and sell it and maybe do what they call a ten thirty one exchange, which is a way to sure. defer the taxes mm-hmm. and still go into another deal. Most guys that are really real estate focused build a family of property. Sure, sure. Um, do you see that's where a lot of success is? It's not that one-off building. Is owning. I would the- say it's the probably the, mo- the major, the biggest major uh, uh, success in New York, of New York. Owning guys, properties and the real estate and the families that have done it before. It's like it's sure. It's, un- it's unbelievable. Creates wealth it, forever. Yeah. Look at Trump. Sure. I mean, not forget about the president, but sure. look at him. Yeah, yeah. How many buildings he has? Yeah. Uh, Around the world. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Um, and many families, many families in New York are this way. Really? Yeah, very large real estate families. And they're just, and now do they keep? Because you're, I guess you're. We'll call. We'll consider you on the inside. Do you see them consistently buying more? Or are they kind of capped out? Are they comfortable where they're I think at? Or? I think it's like everything else in life. A certain timing. You know, uh, uh, some people, well, they call the one of the enemies of the real estate is some young blood guys get too hungry and they may be over leveraged. Over leveraged means you put down the minimum. If mm. you can get away with 25%, you put down only 25%. Sure. The smarter guys have more equity into the deals because what happens, there are, you can count on this. Mm-hmm. There's going to be times that the financial markets, maybe not crater like 2008, just slow down for whatever the reasons are, or interest rates go up, or there's problems, uh, there's uh, political problems, whatever it is, and what they call the cap rates, you know, which is really the multiplying effect of what the property is worth, changes drastically. And you could have a 20%, you think that you have a 25% value of equity in that Mm -hmm. property, and when the property goes down 30% or 35%, the bank wants to call the loan in because you don't have enough equity in the deal. Mm. So I think it's important that they build up the equity and they always maintain certain cash balances at all times. Sure. So they have their guns ready for the next deal that comes around. Sure. And sometimes when the market's bad and people are afraid to buy, the guys that are sitting with a lot of cash will go out and make a deal of, the, of their life. Sure. Oh, because, yeah. Because when everybody else was, was crying about it, mm-hmm. they took advantage of it. Millionaires are made when the market goes down. Um. Yeah, having having cash and assets available is is key. Is key is absolutely key. It's and I'm starting to realize that more and more. Not even as I grow, but because of this podcast, just having people on here that you know, hey, deals are made. You know, it's the reoccurring theme. Deals are made when the market's down. You know, I'm I'm so excited for the market to crash. You know, 
hopefully right. I'll hopefully by then I'll have a little more cash than I do now. But <laughs> but uh, you know for for when that time comes, because one I don't think my industry is really going anywhere. Um, not to sound you know overly pessimistic. Yeah, pessimistic. But you know, and if it does, okay, I'll figure something else out. But you know, when that time does come great i do want to go in and find you know the guy the marketers or the other companies that are you know shaking in their boots saying the market's collapsing the market's collapsing great i'll take a company come on let me you know here's a check let's go you know i want i want to take it over whatever you know if it's a company if it's a building you know i would love to invest heavily in real estate right but you have to know like everything else you have to know what you're doing yes yes uh i seem to be a trial by fire kind of person yeah uh, hopefully with this podcast and uh, all the experts i've had on uh it'll go a little smoother uh but the first chunk of my life has been a been a trial by fire but everybody's got to start somewhere right? sure sure uh you can't you know nobody's uh nobody's opening up the next trump tower somewhere on day one and besides the fact that's not really how you learn what you, sure. you learn by crawling and then walking and then running sure. goes in that order. Sure. If you if you take too much on at one time, you could just be knocked out of the park. So yep. to what to what point? Yeah, can't be spread too thin. Right. Um, yeah, that's crazy. I would have never guessed that there's that many uh, families that are owned that are just buying up properties left crazy. and right. Go on Google and put down real uh, the the biggest real the, the biggest families in real estate today. I guarantee you have a sure. whole list. Oh, I'm sure. Tons. I can't even. I don't go to Look New at York all City. the buildings. Oh, walk walk around, look at all the buildings everywhere you look. Uh, somebody's go to got the Bronx, go to the Brooklyn, go uh, everywhere. We went into, I wish I remember where it was. It was the, I guess, the jewelry district. Is that a thing? Yeah. It's uh, in the 40s. So we, we were go, John and I uh, went into New York City, actually with Ricardo. Um, and I'm like, what is, you know, what is an apartment or whatever these things are? You know, I don't even know what you call them. You know, what does one of these things cost? He's like, good luck. I'm like, what do you mean? Of course, so I go on Google, I search the address of where I'm at, you know, two or three, four, five million dollars for, you know, a two-bedroom apartment. Yes. I'm like, oh my God. A studio is a million bucks. That's inc- that's insane. That's crazy. And people live there. Of course. That's, you know, I mean, heck, you got to like it. I don't know, I'm, I'm from out east. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I try to stay out of New York City when I can. Um, so have you done any other projects in the meantime? What else are you working on? I'm, I'm very curious to see the future of Stuart or the, the hidden gems in Stuart's life. You know, I'm working on a lot of things. Um, we're, we're always looking, it's always about finding a niche, Sure. you know, finding things that are new, being a little bit better than the next guy. Mm-hmm. So I, we probably have something, I don't know, 15 or 20 deals in the work, you know, currently. Oh, good, good. And so it's always it's always a rush trying to f- make sure that your pipeline's full because otherwise sure. you feel like you're you're, you're cratering right. It's mm-hmm. the anxiety Absolutely. that's chasing you. And then at the same time, new new things come up. Example: since the the ten thirty one's been a very special business. Sure. So to talk about the ten thirty one for a minute because a lot of people on here may sure. not know it. about it is that basically a person buys a building. And this is only as an example, uh, 20 years ago and paid three or four million dollars for that building. And today the building's worth 10 million dollars. And for whatever the reason it is, maybe he's retiring, maybe he wants to uh, do something else, uh, maybe he doesn't like the, the property anymore, whatever the reason is, he wants to sell. And when he sells that building, he's going to have a seven or eight million dollar profit. 
and most likely with federal, t- state, and city taxes, he could be paying and also recapture on the depreciation because as you depreciate the building, mm. your basis goes down. Sure. So he may owe he may owe two and a half or three million dollars in federal taxes. Mm-hmm. So what he does is he they have these rules, what they call uh, in 1031 exchange, you can go out and pick, for example, three properties mm-hmm. or something, depending on, I don't, without getting into all the rules, because sure, everything sure. changes for yeah, the, yeah. the amount of money that you're looking at. But, but let's say, for example, you could pick out a few properties and you have 45 days after you close the sale to designate the potential properties that you want to buy, to designate. How do people get around the 45 days? Sure. When they're ready, almost ready to sell, to gain extra time, they may say to the prospective buyer, look, for whatever the reason is, I can't sell right now, I'll close with you in 90 days. Mm-hmm. And that 90 days now gives them an extra 90 plus the 45, they have 135 days to designate. Mm-hmm. So that would be the way that they get that done. Now they designate a few properties, and by the way, once they designate it and the 45 day, even even if it's, there's no such thing as 46 days, even if it's a Saturday, it, it's 45 days, that's sure. it, not 45 days in an hour. <laughs> they get 180 days to close on that property, mm-hmm. close. Once they close on that property, the money, go, the money goes into to a, a, it's called a Q&I guy, that's like an accountant that takes the, the, the a qualified, um, uh, investor uh, uh, that takes that money and holds it mm-hmm. for the gov- for the government, and he can buy another piece of property. The property's got to be basically similar in the amount that he that he sold it for, and similar in the mortgage. He's got to make sure that he has the same equity position. Mm-hmm. So if he made six million dollars, he's got to have at least six million dollars into that next property. If mm-hmm. he has less, it's okay, but they call it a boot, and you have to pay the taxes on that shortfall. Sure, sure. So now you go into the next property. Mm-hmm. Now you go into the next property, you've deferred the taxes. Mm-hmm. You give that property for 30 years, whatever it is, you've deferred the taxes. So what you've done is you've taken, you've deferred and not paid the two and a half million or $3 million that you might have owed. Sure. Today there's something new that's coming to the, the country. It's, and you may not pay attention to it, but it's in the papers a lot, called Opportunity Zones. Mm-hmm. Opportunity zones uh, were basically set up so that people uh, could get involved in areas around the country where there was um, to try to develop the the sections of the country or the cities that are mostly impoverished to mm-hmm. get people to put more money into it. Sure. But even in New York, some of the things you'd be surprised, the opportunity zones, Long Island City where Amazon was going, opportunity sure. zone, Harlem, Harlem is still great. Sure. So that's also, uh, most of Harlem is an opportunity zone. There's sure. places in Brooklyn that are opportunity zones. So you have the, the ability now, instead of putting all that money in, mm-hmm. you can put the taxable income. So if you made uh, $2 million on a building, you only have to put the two, not the 10, not, mm. not the amount that cost. And you have about 180 days be, um, to put it into the fund and then uh, it's a little, there's a little more detail. It's, it sure, it may sure. be even a lot for this process, but the point is, is another way to defer the income. And if you keep it for 10 years, all the money that you made on that property is 
There's no taxes ever on it. Sure. So there's, there's a, another great deal that we're working on. We're working on it right now with a few developers, and I'm gonna. I, my plan is to do a seminar at my country club yep. on this and invite bankers, accountants, lawyers, uh, fi- uh, people that are in the finance space that have uh, wealth managers. Sure. People that because also there's another. I forgot another point of interest. In 1031s, you only do real estate. In the in the opportunity zones, any capital gains you can get. You sold art, you sold stocks, you sold a wow. home. Anything that provides a capital gain, sure, you can invest that taxable income in and then defer the income. Oh my God! Deferred, and then and then at the end, of the t- if you stay for the whole ten years, you own it without having the taxes on it. So wow! There's a lot of there's a lot of so these are the kind of things that are kind of exciting to go into sure. different space and getting new people to come to you because of your expertise. Sure. Sure. Wow. Art and everything like that. That's pretty wild that they're even allowing that. Um, but it's for growth. You know, it's also, it's good for growth. Of course. Of course. You need money. You know, when the government doesn't have any more money to dump into the area, they got to figure out other ways to get creative and get right. people to come in there. Right. Um, it's incredible how they're figuring, you know, whether you like it or you don't like the government, it's pretty incredible how they're figuring out how to boost these areas up and get people with big wallets to come in there and at least create new everything. If it's new housing, if it's new, you know, infrastructure, if it's new businesses, whatever it may be. Well, they had sent like it's everything else. They incentivize the, the uh, entrepreneurs and the businessmen by giving them tax incentives so that they'll invest. And, you know, when, you know, you have certain periods when, in, when, when the economy is not strong, and they change the number of years to depreciation. So sure. instead of depreciating in 39 years, they do something down to 27 years so people can de- depreciate faster. They mm. Sometimes in plant and equipment, they get them so they can depreciate faster, so it's a win-win. The people that would normally say, eh, I don't know if it's time for me to buy a new plant and equipment, all of a sudden they're incentivized, like, buy all your computer equipment right now, do you know, whatever <laughs> you want, and get it, and, 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 and get the tax write off. Sure. So you're, you're, it, the government gets involved in helping uh, the, the uh, climate. That's so incre- it's absolutely incredible. It's incredible that there's that much influence over it. And I think what's really mind-blowing to me, and I try to tell you know, my friends about like all this stuff going on. I hear from you. I hear from other guys in our networking group and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, you know, this is going on. This is going on. And they look at me like I got 10 heads. And I'm like, no, like people are – not only are people making money on this, people are creating tons of money on this. People are making deals of their lifetime or whatever it is or creating generational wealth on these deals because the government either gave an incentive or something like that. But they had to be prepared for that opportunity. And you have to be smart enough to take advantage of it. Sure. Sure. You know, people are doing their own things and all these things are, are passing them by. And then when they're older, they say, you know, I could have done this. You know, I could have done this. You know, because they... They, it's it's a you know what it is. I think even like I feel about myself. Every time you come to a juncture where it wasn't working, mm-hmm. that you take a leap of faith with yourself. You sure. know, if you don't take any risk in life, I'm not saying you can't be okay. Sure, but you're never going to be. It doesn't, and maybe the great one's not really the the answer. In other words, it doesn't mean you got to be you got to make a hundred million dollars. But if sure. you don't take the risk. The rewards aren't going to be there sure. because if you're just going to take a job that you're just going to do the, a minimal amount 
and your overhead for the company. You're sure. not a producer. You just sure. you're just doing whatever it is that you're doing. Um, you'll be limited by the payment. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, payout. One of the saddest things I hear from people is saying, you know, I wish I did that or I wish I did that, and I'm like, you still living? You got time? You know, unless some unless health is physically stopping you from completing your goal and it doesn't even have to be finance it could be anything related it could be it could be just getting another job people get yeah. stuck because i'll give you i'll give you a perfect example the 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 you always hear stories about the woman that's living with a man that's beating the hell out of her and she doesn't leave the guy sure and she's afraid that at least or she thinks that at least as bad as it is she knows what she has and maybe it'll be worse sure so she stays Sure. Full time. Mm-hmm. She doesn't say to herself, "You know what? I'm gonna make it, get a divorce. I'm gonna get out of here. I'm gonna take something new." They're mm-hmm. afraid, sure. so they don't move. And I would say things the same thing in business. People work at jobs that are dead ends, yep. or start businesses that are dead ends, or they don't have to start out as a dead end. It, it, you know, it, it, things change. Sure, it turns right? into it. Turned into it, and they talk themselves out either through anxiety or whatever it is sure. that it's not worth the risk. It's a lot of stress too. In their, I mean, in their eyes, the stress doesn't outweigh the uh, the benefits. They're 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 producing the stress while they're worried about it, Mm -hmm. and usually, it's about taking a a chance, and usually end up in a better space. Sure, but it's hard to convince people of that. I, I had a great conversation with a buddy of mine the other day. He's like, yeah, but you know, what about the people that that can't do this? You know, I'm like, read more books. He's like, what if they can't get books? I go, you're telling me that they're not a citizen. He's like, well, they're citizens. I go, so they can march right into the library, show their ID, and get a library card, and they can go read books. You know, you want to learn how to do something, read a book. You know, go on the well, I know, I, and today, for me, and it's it's new for me, I, it's like when I wanted to learn about the Opportunity Zone, sure. I went on YouTube. Sure. I it, wanted to learn more about the 1031. So I went on much. YouTube. There's so much information available, so but it's much. crazy. Yeah. Uh, information overload. You know, it's actually it's hard to find the diamonds because there's so much. But you know, I'm a big. But you can. But you can. It whatever area you're in, mm-hmm. uh, you're into. If you focus on that that area, sure. You only go for the information that's going to make you succeed in the area that you're doing. You're not going on the on YouTube to look at everything. Sure. You're going on the things that you think will provide the information that you need to take you to another level. Because in life and business, no matter what you do, and including what I do, it's uh, it's always about the specialty. It is about being a trusted advisor and a consultant. It's not about just being a broker. Sure. You have to you have to figure you you can be you can do podcasts, you can do websites, but if you're offering the same thing that everybody else is offering, you get you get mixed you, you're not you're not specialized in anything. You're not going to grow sure. from that business. You sure. got to be special in, in some some way shape or form uh, to your clients. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, and you and like we just said it, there's there's so much there, and it's if you can't read, you could watch a video. If you can't, if you don't have time to watch a video, you, you can, can listen to a book. You, you can listen to a book, right? You know, it, I I feel bad because I get that there's people that you know are either underprivileged or whatever it is, but at the end of the day, you gotta want it. You know, you gotta want to learn. You gotta want to learn about opportunity zones. You know, somebody's not gonna sit down with you on the street and just say, "Hey, by the way, I have this great out." You know, do you have a couple million dollars in your pocket? And you want you want to invest? 
let me talk, let me tell you about these opportunity zones. You're gonna be like, dude, what are you talking about? You gotta find out about it. You gotta go do your homework. You got, you know, is this a good idea? Is it a bad idea? You know, how can I make it work? If I can't, if I don't think I can make it work, I need to get the right people involved, like you, to make it work. And by the way, we've gone to, um, and my son-in-law is involved with me, and we've gone to already a number of meetings with uh, major CPAs in the space and attorneys in the space. And, can, and, and gone to seminars, a number of seminars that we continue to go to to learn as much as we can about the sure. opportunity zones. Sure. Because it's kind of fresh. It's kind of new. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll make some mistakes, but we're gonna, the ones that we're going to do will start out small. So, again, it won't be something that will take us out of our life. It'll be enough to it'll be a learning lesson, but we're sure. not going to be taken. Yeah. No, I think I, I agree. You know, crawl, walk, run. Right. And you figure out everything else along the way. Um, I kind of want to roll it back to the business owner days for you because I have some business owner questions for you. Sure. What do you think the single greatest decision or greatest decisions were that you made for your company to become, you know, having 200 employees is not exactly uh, a, a small amount. That's a very impressive amount. So I'm curious to know what, decision you made or decisions you made that were monumental in growing your business I think the first thing the first thing that that, that we learned was the first couple of years we we're willing to do anything in fact in in the you know the Sandler stuff what sure. they call hopeism sure right sure hoping that we were going to be able just to produce whatever it was that anybody wanted sure uh, and figure it out yep and we flew to Boston. I'll never forget this. It was like a year and a half or two years later. And we talked to one of the retailers, a guy that we were also very friendly with, and they had a process that was called at the time Garment Dine. Okay. You wouldn't know it. And there was a, there was a big company, CP Shades. Now that I'm thinking of it, CP Shades was very big, and they were doing about $50 million a year in that space. Oh, wow. So I said, what's so great about it? He said, listen to me. You can go out, mm-hmm. you can buy the goods, what they call in gray. Gray means it's like you're buying it in white. Sure. And let's say you were making a t-shirt. What you'd have to do, because it's cotton, you'd have to take the squares from the, well, they, the, the fabric that you're buying comes in lots. Okay. So let's you, you bought 2,000 yard lot of a, of a particular uh, goods. Sure. And you would make up a garment Mm-hmm. And you'd sew it up, and you put it in a washer and a dryer, mm-hmm. and several of them from that lot, and figure out what the shrinkage would be. It's going to shrink eight and eight percent in the length. It's going to shrink four percent in the width. It's going to oh, shrink wow. in the in the in the sleeve and everything sure. like that. Because the reason I'm even telling you this detail is because if anybody would just go in this business and try to do it, they would they would screw up. <laughs> so what we would do is we would do that, and then at the end of the day. We would make up um, garments, let's say mm-hmm. 1,200 pieces or 2,000 pieces, whatever the order was for. Sure. And finally, and then we'd send it to a dye, they had a professional dyeing facility in New Jersey that you could, you could basically do any color in the rainbow. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have to color the goods. So for example, we started, with, this brought us into the limited stores and, a lot, and Victoria's Secret and everybody. Why? Because 
we were able to produce domestic goods where they would give us a speck on a t-shirt or a dress. We would make the garment. They decided it was something they wanted to run, and then we would make tens of thousand units, mm -hmm. sit in our warehouse, and once they decided what the best color was mm -hmm. or what sold out the fast, they would call us up and within five days, we'd have the garment in the color that they wanted for the amount of units they wanted for them with their label on it because we had the garments already laying there. All we had to do is dye it, press bag, and hang. Sure. If, what was the advantage? It was quick turn. It was if they would go to like a guy in China and say, I want to order 10,000 white, 10,000 blue, 10,000 pink, 10, and it would take three months to get there. And then sure. once it got there, they said, oh, the pink sold twice as fast. I would need more pink. They don't want to wait three months. Mm -hmm. Five days, I already had it in their warehouse. Sure. So it was a, this brought us to, to the next level. To an, uh, an unbelievable level. Just being able to adapt and overcome. And, and, and it's opportunity zone, except in the garment. I'm not saying opportunity sure. zone, but the idea sure. is like you get up, you see a new idea, you think it may work for you, and you start cuddling with it sure. and, 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 and watch it manifest and, and grow into something that takes you to another level. Sure. And that's uh, that was like the, probably the big the biggest thing at that moment. And then of course, as you grow, hiring the people, firing the people, sure. going to the bank, figuring out production schedules, getting the right people to be able to run. Because obviously, running a business with ten employees is not like running a business with two hundred employees. There's a lot of management. There's a lot sure. of things of you know. And then and then taking things over to China because it was when we were going back to our our, our customers that we're doing business with six or seven years later. They go. Oh, I can't buy that for six dollars. We can only give. You, I can only give you three. Mm -hmm. Well, it, that was more than that was. That was less than what it was costing me to make. Sure. So I had to go overseas. Sure. I had to find factories that would do it. That was a big risk. Like I didn't know the people. Who's going to watch the production? Sure. Who are you going to hire to do this? And this was thousands and thousands of miles away. Sure. In these factories, and it was a whole new thing. But. You had, to, you had to have a leap of faith. And a lot of things cost us a lot of money to do it. And sure. a lot of things was a disaster. But um, these are the trials and tribulations of life that people go through. And the people that get seasoned that do it the best are the ones that are going to be successful. The ones that sit back and don't do nothing and are not going to not going to look back at life and feel like they they're not even going to live. Shot. Yeah, it'll yeah. crumble. Yeah. Um, that was a really good answer, by the <laughs> way. That was really good. Um what do you think the biggest challenge you had in your career or challenges? I mean, in the garment business? Or? Both. Both. I'd be, well, I'd I be curious the first to you. Biggest, the first biggest challenge that I had was I was going into a business in, 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 in manufacturing that I knew nothing about. Okay. And the evidence was I gave the goods to a, a cutting guy, and the guy mm. was – giving me fake reports and stealing my piece goods. If it told me it took 20 yards a dozen, maybe it only took 15 yards a dozen. He was stealing the goods from me. I knew no, I had no idea. Jesus. Uh, once we made sweaters for a, guy, uh, for, um, a company called G&G, &G, and they were supposed to be 30 inches long, and we went to the factory, then we had to pay them all cash up front, and when we went to the factory to pick up the goods, they're only 20 inches long, 10 inches short. He goes, no problem. He put on the steamer and steamed them out, but the, but he killed the goods. Mm -hmm. So it was 
my education and what I was doing, I really wasn't seasoned at it, which was one huge problem. Mm-hmm. The other problem was I didn't have a lot of money. So I borrowed from friends. I borrowed um, a little bit from my, my, my folks. But quickly, I was running out of money no matter what I did because as we grew, sure. we needed much more money to run that business. So I really had to do well very early to get the bank to lend me more money and then eventually sure. went to a factor, which um, for me, that's a, it's a process in itself. I was you able to you build started a, a factory? No, no, no. Oh. Factor. factor. Oh, Factor, Factor. Is a guy is a, is a bank, so to speak, that lends in the garment center based on the invoicing, mm-hmm. you're, you're invoicing to limited stores, whoever that, sure, sure. whoever those people are, you're invoicing, and they have very strong credit, so they're taking the chance, but they also believe that you have the ability to produce. Mm. So it's a combination of things. Uh, these are all tremendous headwinds at the beginning. In fact, I remember in the day, it was we, we didn't have, we were just starting with the computer. We had to learn how to do the computer. We had to learn how to put the receivables in. All the things that are just like uh, just a matter of fact today is like, sure. it was all like sure. headwind back then. So I would say there was so much to learn, so much to learn. Really, biggest challenge was just not not, not having enough knowledge. Yeah, but the, but the thing is, almost in any business is that if you're young and you're first getting involved, how much could you possibly know? Unless you grew up in a business, and you work for your father, and you, maybe you have a shot. Sure. But even then, you probably don't because the father takes care of the real challenges mm-hmm. and gives the young man typically I'm talking about as they're growing up you know, sure, teenager sure. like things that are not that are not going to give the father exposure or vulnerability sure right sure so they, they kind of take that burden sure but the truth of the matter is the only way you really learn is you learn by the burden and you learn by the being scared and you learn about anxiety you learn because you're not sleeping at night what if this and what if that mm-hmm. and what if this and that anxiety drives you to success yeah because you're trying to avoid failure sure and if you don't feel that in your gut you're going nowhere sure sure a lot of sleepless nights right um, you have to feel the vulnerability now was the girlfriend girlfriend's parents involved in the industry or they just got you into the industry first of all she was my wife oh wife. sorry <laughs> sorry 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 <laughs> I didn't know if she was girlfriend or wife at the time. No wife. Wife. She was from New York. I was from Ohio. But so, yeah. they were they were not, they were in the retail end. In other words, they had stores. Oh, uh, product. They didn't manufacture. Gotcha. I, I got into the manufacturing end. Gotcha. Because, at least from the retail end, I was able to learn styling and have sure. a sensibility for like what I wanted to do. But it wasn't. It wasn't um, manufacturing. Sure. That's a, that was a, in itself a challenge. Interesting. Um, now, what was your transition like leaving Ohio to come to New York? Scared. That's it? Just scared? Yeah, because it was like I was moving here. Yeah. I didn't know anybody. I mean, what did the parents wife. think, the family, you know, all that? Because they, a- they were hoping – first of all, I, I, you know, I, I grew up uh, working in an institutional food business with okay. my father. When I came here, I first started in the institutional foods, and on Saturdays – I worked for my father-in-law and started to learn the garment business. Mm. So I kind of transitioned over. But gotcha. it took time because I didn't know anything about that business. Plus, I, it's not even that. You move to a new city, new people. New you everything. You know your way around. You sure. Know, everything's strange. Sure. So I still can't I, figure out subways. Yeah. And I got a cell phone. No, but I, and I go, I love the subway now because I learned because now it's like nothing. It's like, it's, <laughs> like, it's, it's kind of cool. So, yeah, everything was a challenge. But... 
I've been very lucky because I've been very successful in whatever I did. I've, I've had my times of worry and stress and vulnerability. You know, sure. I felt heavy. Um, but at the end, I've always come up a, I've always come up on top. It's just a matter of time. Sure, sure. Uh, what's the greatest, I don't want to say loss, because that could be taken a couple different ways, but the greatest financially, uh, financial you mistake? Was there any time that you either said no to a deal that ended up being the probably would have changed your life completely or um you know you hey let's invest you know a couple hundred thousand dollars into this and okay so i think the only if i had to do all over again that one thing that i didn't do and i think because we were growing and spending a lot of money also personally because as you're growing and you're making money and then you want your kids save money for schools and have a bigger house and have cars and everything else i had a fairly large warehouse facility in Long Island City. Mm -hmm. We kept talking about uh, taking our money and buying property there. It was a big mistake not doing. I would have made millions and millions of dollars. Oh, buying in Long Island City. Yeah. And look at it today. Yeah. In fact, the, the, to tell you an example, the warehouse that I was in at 3147th Avenue in 1992, I was paying $3.50 a foot for 75,000 square feet, which was a quarter million dollars a year for the rent. Sure. That property today rents for over 60, 18 times. So imagine, imagine buying something there, anywhere there, and what it would have been worth today. I would, you, you could bet on the fact that if you bought something fairly substantial at the time, even for a warehouse, sure, you wouldn't have to work the rest of your life today. But it was, God, it was an anxiety going back and forth. Now remember, People don't realize the – you never realize the extent of it while you're in it. Of course. Right? You never do because you can't see the future. Right. But you have to understand the, the, the basics, the financial basics of, 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 of time because – you're young. You're 25 years old or sure. whatever it is. When, when you were five or six mm -hmm. and you went to the movies, I don't know what it was. Was it $5 or $4? Or Honestly, $4? I can't remember, About. but I remember – you can get in with a ten dollar bill. Okay, and today, you can't even you can't even walk in with a ten dollar bill. It's sixteen dollars for a seat, seventeen dollars for a seat, nine dollars. I just went to the movies the other day. Popcorn six dollars. Popcorn is nine dollars. Okay. My heart hit. I my my chest hit the floor. So 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 think of this. Every single thing in life, from the car, sure, to the food, uh -huh. to the house, to the property building to the, to the clothes to the movie while you're living in the time frame you can't almost not see it go up mm -hmm. but 10 years ago by and go oh my god i was able to go to a like you said go to go a on. movie all for 10 and now it's 35 dollars and that building like when i sure. about, i went to that building i was paying 350 a foot i thought i was paying a lot of money oh not because i thought i was paying a lot of money in rent I was paying $250,000 to be in that building. Sure. So to me, that was a lot of money, meaning the yeah. expense of it all. Yep. Did I think that 20 years later, maybe that maybe if I bought a property for 75,000 square feet, that maybe it would be worth, I could buy a building for a couple million dollars, that maybe it would be worth 10 or 12? Sure. Of course not. Yeah. So that's what keeps people And that's back. explosive but growth, too. That's explosive growth, but I can tell you over time that everything goes 
over long over long periods of time, everything goes up. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, I remember going to the movies, and I want to say it was right around like six dollars. And I'm happy the movies have changed, where you get like the recliners, and they're like pretty nice. But what blew my mind is the fact that when I went to the movies the other day, there was a line of people. Fine, it's whatever, sixteen dollars a movie. I get it. You got to go to the movies. The amount of people that walked around with these nine dollar popcorns, you know, I'm like nine dollars for a twenty cent product. You know, the the container that the popcorn sits in is probably more expensive than the popcorn for the that's movie all, theater. That's awesome. When you go into New York, I, and the reason I take the train during the day, I don't take the train when I go at night with my wife or go out with friends. But you can get on a, you can go on the Long Island Railroad for two dollars, and you can go to uh, get on a subway for two fifty, whatever, another two and a quarter, whatever it is. You drive to the city, you go through the Midtown Tunnel. It costs you fifteen dollars round trip to go through the tunnel. The gas. You go into a, um, a parking lot. If you, God forbid, you got to go to two. You go to one. You stay for an hour and a half or two hours. It's sixty, seventy dollars just to go in that parking lot. Sure. You're not getting in and out of the city for under hundred dollars. Oh yeah. Imagine. Yeah. Trust me, I know. So, time-wise, go back. You know, go back in time. This is, and it's hard to imagine. Like, you get married and you have kids, and now they're twenty-five years old, mm -hmm. and they go, Dad. You really? It cost a hundred dollars to go to the movies. Now you can't imagine that today. Sure, you but can, it could be. But it would be. No, sure. it will be. It's not even could be. It, it will. It will be. Sure. But because when kids go to college today, some of the colleges are fifty to a hundred thousand dollars a year. Sure. All these things people don't realize at the time, you know, and 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 that's why the ability to have real estate. I don't mean single homes. Sure. But like multifamilies, rentals, sure. things like that. If you're going to have single homes, you got to have a lot of them. Yeah, I don't know. It's a lot. I don't know. It's hard to make money. On, on, uh, yeah, multifamily. No, multifamily, you know, people, rentals, things like that, that go up every couple percent a year and things like that um, over time. Yeah, when I went, so I was away for, for nine days, and actually the most expensive part of the trip as far as my vehicle being on the road was going through New York City. That was the, I looked at all my bills, and the most expensive one was. The tolls and getting out of New York City, it was cheaper to fill up gas everywhere else and everything like that and everything. But leaving New York was the most expensive thing. But I think it's interesting, though, with the, with the, the um, computerization and, and the global expansion that these things and, 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 then the and then the ability of like the stores like a Walmart and Target mm -hmm. uh, over the last 20 years – have done a huge uh, favor to the country when it came to inflation because they've kept the prices down. People sure. could buy jeans for $9.99. Sure. 20 years ago, they might have paid $15.99 for the same jean, meaning sure. like, things have just gone yeah. down. And the way, like, now Amazon went into the online pharmacy and that's gonna that's gonna kill it. Yeah. They went to the book business. They, the guys who were selling books for twenty dollars, Amazon was selling for three. I mean, they just wiped out industries. Everybody, Everybody yeah. got wiped out. Sure. So. This has been a healthy thing as far as the inflationary standpoint because prices didn't go up. Sure. Imagine giving Jeff Bezos a couple bucks back in the day. <laughs> Can you imagine? Set for life. Well, but that's everything. Risk. Yeah. It doesn't have, and, it, and it, it, you don't have to necessarily get that big to sure. make a thing. You know, you could just done very well because smart choices. Sure. Taking chances, doing things that's right, trying to figure out um, how to be creative and be best at what you do. Not easy. No, 
Not easy at all. No. Not very... I think the funniest thing to see, and I'll offer the younger perspective, is other people around my age going out to start their own businesses and failing way too soon, which is fine. You should fail, but they give up. And it blows my mind, the amount of people I've already seen, and I haven't been in business all that long, but the amount of people I've already seen that have gone out started their business, failed, and went back to working, working for somebody else. It's yeah, and it's crazy. always the ability. If you read almost almost anything, it's always about failure. I mean, or success equals failure plus tenacity. In other words, you have sure. to keep trying at it, right? Sure. It's not like you do something and mm-hmm. you get up, you're successful. No, it doesn't nope. work like that. Nope. And a lot of deals also, you're... So you feel like you finally got it, and then you take two steps forward, and all oh, you're you're back where you were, and mm-hmm. it's it's the constant it's the constant it's chasing, yep. yeah, to get there. But so. it's worth it. Could be worth it. It can be very well worth it. Uh, I think it is worth it, because especially if you're especially if you're passionate about what you're doing. Because mm-hmm. what are you doing except enjoying what you're doing? Like I have friends that hate what they do. Maybe they went into their father's business, whatever it was, and they're always looking to go on vacation. They're always looking to get away sure. from what it is because they don't enjoy it. Yeah. And I, I, I went away last week. I had a great time, but I was just as happy to come back and continue to do what sure. I was loving doing. So labor of love is important. Yes. You have to love what you, you have to. I don't, say, I don't want to say you have to love what you do, but you definitely have to like what you do. So if you don't like what you do, you're going to be miserable. And it doesn't matter how much money. Because you get up and do it every day. Yep. Yeah. 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 You know, and you know i'm sure you know it you know okay i gotta work till six seven eight nine ten o'clock at night whatever it is you know it's not that bad you know it's because it's i like doing it you know if i hated my job working extra would suck you know there's no there's no amount of money that you could pay somebody it's still gonna suck right um exactly there's a viral article that just went out you know uh living rich versus living poor and he's like oh i'm so unhappy i'm so unhappy whatever it is it's like well at least you have money to combat most of your problems you know you got to figure out what else you like but you know your job not having an impact okay well you could fix that you know your family life not being right well how much time are you spending at work you know you have the opportunity to go fix it you don't have the financial burden of saying i need to go to work today to make the ends meet it's pretty it was a pretty good article yeah, but everybody's got their own story, you know. It's and people are inclined to do certain things. Like some people are f- afraid of failure, so they don't take the chance. I mean, you can't talk them into it. Yeah, failure will get you. We just crushed an hour and twenty minutes. Wow, goes quick. Yeah, goes quick when you're having fun. The uh, <laughs> uh, do you want to tell anybody how to find you? Uh, I always recommend websites, maybe an email address. I I recommend staying away from phone numbers, but that's totally up to you. Social no, media. so you can go on my um, website at www.thelocuitysource.com. Uh, you can go on my email to st- Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T, at the liquidity source. Um, or you can uh, email Harris there at the Baron uh, Media and figure it out. You know? That's right. If you guys need help, I'll, I'll point you in the right direction. I promise you. Okay, a pleasure today. Stuart, thanks, thanks for coming out. Appreciate it. Alrighty, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Brutally Honest Podcast. I really do appreciate it. Look, if you guys really enjoy the show, please smash that subscribe button. I really do appreciate it. If you guys really, really enjoy the show, share it out, tell a friend, 
leave a review, anything like that. Anything that's going to help grow the show, honestly, is, is the best thing to do. If you want to monetarily support it, patreon.com forward slash brutally honest podcast. You can make a small monetary donation right there. I would really, really do. I really do appreciate it, uh, even if you do or you don't do it. But I just want to let you guys know that. And that's pretty much it. AgileDragonConsulting.com. Go check it out. If you're a business owner or you're in charge of making your data work better for your company, go speak to them. They focus predominantly in a software called Burst. However, they are absolutely brilliant people. They're going to help you as a business owner make better business decisions based on the data you already have. That is the most important part about all of this. So often people say, you know, I don't know what kind of what I should do as far as my business goes or anything like that, or I, should, I don't know if I should do this or that. Well, they're going to help you answer that question because they already have the data and you just have to make better decisions with it. Alrighty, guys, agiledragonconsulting.com. Go check it out. And if you're in the, in the mood for a tasty snack, go check out terranut.com. That is T-E-R-R-A-N-U-T.com forward slash BHP Brutally Honest Podcast. You will get 20% off your order. All right, guys, if you go there and use my offer code BHP, 20%. Tasty little snacks. Put it on granola. Put it wherever you'd like. Preferably eat it. Don't put it anywhere else in your body. That'd be weird. But definitely go check it out. They're just a delicious, delicious snack. I highly recommend it. And that's it, folks. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the Brutally Honest Podcast. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you guys constantly supporting me and subscribing and all that kind of stuff. So, as always, I really, really do appreciate it. And for the MVPs that make it to the last minute, I love the shit out of you guys. I'll see you on the next one. Goodbye.